Welcome to the latest Fifth Step podcast. Today I'll be talking to Fifth Step CEO Darren Ray uh, about a, a, an interesting article that we both read in Insurance Times recently. And according to that article, uh, cyber attacks, uh, data breaches and cyber extortions uh, accounted for 15% of all events for UK um, SMEs um, in 2019. And uh, it's, Darren, I mean... No, what, what, in your opinion, does that does that ring true with you know, some of the research and the conversations you've been having with some of your clients all over the UK? Yeah, I'm a little bit surprised um, in some respects. It's so low. I mean, 15% isn't a lot, but I guess if you take into account every single event that is an insurance event for any one of these organisations, then I guess you've got, you know, the, the normal bumps and scrapes uh, in vehicles, um, you know, company vehicles and those kinds of things. If you take into account all of those kinds of incidents, 15% then actually sounds uh, sounds like quite a lot. Yeah, well, in terms of the um, well, the average figures, though, in payouts, they were talking about six, nearly £6,500 each, uh, and a significant of them, um, well, these, those crisis incidents included cyber attacks, they, what they call it, describe it as industrial espionage and terrorism. I mean, that, again, that, that's pretty surprising. But Gallagher's, he, the broker that commissioned the survey, they mm. interviewed like 1,200-odd um, UK SMEs, so the figures mm. do seem to stack up. Yeah, the figures stack up. I mean, the, uh, again, the amounts paid out, not exceedingly large. Um, in many incidences, you get, um, you know, incidents of ransomware can account for a larger payout requirement than one, you know, than £6,500. Mm. Uh, there have been several ransomware incidents where, yeah, people have had to, um, you know, pay in you know so many Bitcoin, and as we know, Bitcoin prices, whilst they've gone up and down, they have been at mm. some you know pretty uh, uh, large highs over the last uh, eighteen months or two years. Yeah, one of the things that was a bit more relevant to someone who's um, say an IT leader or uh, the CIO or the COO of a, of a business, well, they talk about how um, these kind of cyber and IT security crises. They represent what they call a soft underbelly of business, um, mm. particularly you know in in well, among the ninety nine percent of private sector firms that were impacted according to the to the survey. Um, you know the, the IT infrastructure that can be a really soft underbelly, can't it? Yeah, I think what they're saying there is that organisations still aren't taking it seriously enough. Some of them may even be relying on their insurance as their protection, if you like, um, which is a a little bit like leaving your uh, windows and doors open and you know relying on your uh, your house and property insurance to actually cover you um, you know should something get stolen it's you know uh, sure it, it will work at least for a time um, but it is going to leave you uh, seriously inconvenienced if that's your primary defense and primary way of dealing with it sure and as the uh, article makes clear I mean the UK economy is now it's, it's pretty he- you know, heavily tilted towards uh, services now uh, uh, whether that's financial services professional services um, so that's going to, you know, as the, as the UK becomes a, you know, moves from being a manufacturing based um, sort of economy to a more uh, digital based economy. Mm. So that's uh, that's only going to get worse. Yeah, I think that shows that there's a disproportionate impact on the UK economy in comparison to other economies that are perhaps uh, have a greater degree of manufacturing. Germany, for example, that still has a far greater manufacturing. Uh, aspect to its economy than uh, than the UK does, for, you know. For example, now there are different threats to those uh, 
um, economies where there's manufacturing because obviously they can suffer from different types of attack, cyber attack as well, mm. uh, you know, with uh, perhaps uh, particular milling machines being targeted or something like that. Mm. Those kinds of things can happen too. In about you know, a quarter of the survey said that they wouldn't be able to survive a, a month, basically, um, you know, if, if, if rendered or disabled, uh, disabled by a, a cyber incident. So, I mean, it's potentially, you know, business, crit- no, business critical. Yeah, that's right. Now, I think those, uh, those kinds of figures increase um, with the size of an organisation as they ha- obviously have greater reserves, but the... Uh, the key aspect there is how patient are your clients going to be if you're unable to deliver the service or and I, you know how understanding are your vendors going to be if you can't pay your bills uh, just because you've suffered a you know some form of cyber attack so i think it's critically important that organizations understand their resiliency program and what they need to be doing in order to uh, protect themselves and don't do this after the event, you know, this isn't something to look back on and say, "All oh, right, well, we should really now do it now. It's now it's hit us because sometimes that may be too late." Uh, you know, in the case of those organisations that can't even survive a month, um, you know, obviously trying to pick up the pieces after that is going to be uh, pretty difficult for them. But mm. with you know slightly larger organisations, those who are perhaps thinking and planning about some of these things and putting the effort in, put the effort in in advance. Don't get caught by. You know, uh, trying to bolt the the stable door after the horse yeah, is bolted yeah, sure. to use that acronym. I mean, again, um, in terms of like the number of businesses UK wide, I think something like fifty seven thousand businesses potentially, if if the survey is correct, would be at risk of uh, a risk of collapse. So, mm. um, you know, uh, what what sort of steps would you advise an SME to take? But are there like what are the, the, the three key, you know, steps that you could take to function through such an incident? Yep, sure. And I'd say I'd say this for any size organisation, not just an SME, to be perfectly honest. Um, but first of all, know your landscape. So understand your resiliency, understand the kinds of threats that you're looking to protect yourself against. Is it, you know, is it malware? Uh, are you in a particularly high-risk industry, um, you know, where you're perhaps going to be targeted by activists and things like that. If that's the case, you definitely need to be able to take your resiliency and your cybersecurity seriously and make sure that you're, uh, you're protecting yourself, you know, more so if you are part of a national infrastructure, for example, you know, if you're, um, you know, with the insurance companies that we talk about quite a lot on this podcast, Chris, you know, if you're a life insurer, for example, you're responsible for paying out. Um, you know the pensions for millions of people. If you suffer a a, a cyber attack, that has a disproportionate impact on millions of people just through one incident. So, being part of the critical infrastructure, it's very understand uh, important to understand what your current position is, what you're trying to protect yourself against, and how big an impact you, it has on you know those around you as well. Because mm. it's not just you being impacted. That's the nature of. You know, cyber in this ever-connected world. So make sure you're looking at those kinds of things as the first step. But, you know, it's very easy for me to say, um, you know, reach out to Fifth Step, but that is one of the primary pieces of advice I would give you because it's difficult sometimes for organisations to, you know, see the woods for the trees and actually understand, um, you know, where the threats are coming from, where the potential threats. Equally, you can end up seeing threats everywhere, you know, reds under the bed, um, you know, kind of scenario, and you think Mm. um, that there are uh, are problems and threats everywhere, and you can end up spending a lot more money than perhaps you ought to. 
So it's, a, it's, a, it's achieving a balance between the two, really, isn't it? It's a, yeah. Almost like, a, you know, would a, some kind of a, a sports exercise be something that you might undertake? For yeah, them? you may look at it from a, um, a risk-based um, SWOT analysis and uh, work through um, the opportunities there. But we have a number of approaches that, you know, we as FISTEP would normally take. Um, you know, we might judge you against, a, um, you know, an industry standard, and that may, for smaller companies... Uh, may sound like a, a really frightening thing to, to go through, but by using an international standard, you know, such as NIST or ISO 27001, something like that, what that gives us is a recognised framework to measure you against, and it means that everything's covered in one place, um, you know, and things aren't going to be missed out. But equally, it's important that any organisation going through this kind of thing is being proportionate. You know, if you're a, a business of... 10 people, irrespective of, irrespective of your turnover, then you perhaps need to be protecting yourself in a different way to an organisation of you know, 10,000 people, for example. The, the, the insurance broker that commissioned the survey um, stressed the importance of pl- you know, planning, putting pan- plans in place to strengthen um, your ability to an- anticipate, pre- prevent, respond and recover. Um, that's something very much that's part of the fifth step of the process, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely it is. Um, and that's part of the NIST cybersecurity framework um, language there. In terms of NIST, I mean, for people who maybe not be familiar with that term, what does that, what does that mean again? Um, so it's the uh, Institute of Standards and Technology um, from uh, North America. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's an sta- international standard, and it's um, uh, it very much talks about um, you know the five aspects of information security and cybersecurity uh, and making sure that you're able to, you know, identify, respond, protect, yeah, yeah, and recover, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and being able to do that and look at things, you know, this is the power of a framework, really. As I was saying earlier on, it's really about bringing things together and then uh, being able to say, right, well, we've covered everything, we've measured ourselves against a, a standard, and whilst we may not expect to score 100, mm. percent um, you know, we may only uh, expect to score. You know, fifty percent on a you know on a baseline incident, perhaps even lower the first time you run it, but it gives you an area, uh, or gives you the areas that need to be improved, and it gives you a score, you know, a baseline score, irrespective of whether you're ten people or ten thousand people. It's a valuable exercise. Mm. One of the other findings was that the financial services sector uh, sustained the highest number of attacks mm. by quite a significant margin. Actually, I think it was twenty-seven uh, percent of financial services SMEs. Uh, were impacted. I mean, we've spoken in the past, I mean, we deal, um, I mean, Fifth Step deals a lot with um, managing agents and lawyers, syndicates, but also if you're a startup, say, managing general agency, for example, mm. you might not have the in-house uh, capability or expertise to help, even if you, even, even for example, if you're actually dealing with cyber uh, yeah. insurance. Uh, so those kind of companies really do need a helping hand, don't they? We do, they do, and we've spoken, as you've said, a number of times about um, you know, financial services organisations and how they've been uh, targeted um, you know, before, I think, um, what was it, episode 63, I think, mm. of our, our podcast, um, talked about um, you know, recent spikes in cyber security um, incidents for financial services um, specifically. But the key aspect um, around you know, those organisations, particularly those, uh, funnily enough, who are dealing with cyber uh, insurances, it's a very different skill to be able to underwrite cyber security insurance as opposed to being able to uh, perform a cyber security assessment and judge the 
um, you know, the risks that are placed upon your organisation. You know, they are different things, and that's why we work with um, you know, insurance companies and those writing, writing cyber security insurance you know, to help them um, you know, put in place the right things for their customers uh, you know, and for them you know, to improve the decision-making around cyber security as well. Mm. One of denial, denial of access and business interruption um, was the second most concerning area. Um, a lot of um, respondents that survey cited that as a major area. Um, so what, why, why business interruption? Uh, for people who may not be familiar out there, what's the, what's well, the risk of business interruption? Well, I guess um, you know, what they're, uh, the specific risks that they're talking about there is where you know, someone's website is targeted. Uh, for example, their website is taken offline. Um, you know, they are unable to transact business at that point in time because their website's offline. Uh, so, you know, let's think of a, you know, a major retailer, you know, uh, pick one that's familiar to you. Um, but if that retailer, if their website went offline, um, that would cause a whole heap of uh, challenges because these days, even in store, uh, the staff are very often using the website to, you know, um, you know reserve uh, goods on behalf of uh, customers who are coming in. Um, you know, many stores have um, you know, website terminals. You know, that only go to their website these days to in order yeah. for you to be able to search for things that you haven't found in the store and then be able to order them for de- you know delivery to your home and those kinds of things. So if the website goes offline. It may, you know, just the website goes offline. It will not necessarily have a complete breakdown of um, access, but there will be a business interruption element there. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, if the incident is greater and, you know, the whole infrastructure is being flooded with, you know, erroneous messages and, you know, all those kinds of mm-hmm. methods of attack, um, which make up a denial of access or denial of service attack, then, of course, um, they could be a more serious problem and have true business interruption. And, of course, uh, you know, you may host your own website and be, uh, be responsible for that, but a lot of companies these days have outsourced that to mm. third-party providers. So that's another aspect. That's almost like digital supply chain risk, I suppose, is what you could call it. So um, Absolutely, yeah. And we've, um, you know, again, we've spoken about such things, but that's an important aspect of understanding uh, the risks um, the interconnected risks, so the risks that your suppliers are taking are actually passed on to you as a uh, as an organisation. So you need to be aware of what those risks are and aware of the decisions that some of those guys are making on your behalf. And it's not just the business interruption side. We're talking about um, data breaches that lead to co- uh, compromised customer data as well. Um, it's another major issue for small businesses, uh, particularly in light of you know, uh, recent... Um, fines for GDPR, of course. Mm. Um, I know we've talked about GDPR, but it's still worth reiterating that point, that even, even, even now, isn't it, really? Oh, it is. And the, the data breaches, again, affect all companies of all sizes, not just SMEs. You know, I guess one of the biggest examples that we had just recently was uh, the um, Starwood, the Marriott, uh, the, the Marriott Group. The Marriott anyway. Group, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the incident that they had, and they lost millions of customer records and over a significant period of time too. So there's a lot of challenges there that exist. But under GDPR, um, you have to be able to react quickly. So you have to be able to um, you know, assess the situation and notify uh, the, the data processing authority, uh, the DPA in your country or, uh, or region, 
uh, and you have to do so within 72 hours. And that's not a long time to be able to triage and understand what's going wrong, uh, you know, stem the flow, you know, so actually deal with the incident and to be able to assess what's gone on. Uh, there's a lot of balls to juggle there um, in, the, in the face of a, uh, a, um, you know, a data breach incident. And that's very much why you know, we've spoken about before making sure that you do the preparation up front, making sure that you've got that breach plan, making sure you understand, you know, what should happen first, you know, is it ABC or CBA? Doesn't matter necessarily which way round it is, as long as you know which way round it is and that you're taking the right action. And there is a research course that shows that having a data protection officer is a, a critical component of making sure that you, you know you do maintain compliance with, uh, with, with its legislation like GDPR, or indeed, you know, reducing the number of attacks on, you know, denial of access, you know, attacks on your business. Absolutely. I was at a conference, um, uh, no, actually not a conference, it was a roundtable event um, a few months ago uh, now with, um, you know, cyber security insurers uh, yeah. and underwriters. That's a really living the, living the breakfast dream there. Um, but what was really interesting, one of the interesting things that came out of that uh, event uh, was that many of the underwriters there were saying that one of the most critical pieces of information that they collect now uh, on their insurance forms is does the company have a data protection officer or someone responsible for their data protection and are they a data protection professional um, and if they get answers yes uh, to both of those questions um, then it's almost a um, you know, a, a tick box event to actually yes. go through and uh, okay the rest of the insurance because they see that as uh, you know as a critical factor in uh, keeping the organisation safe, making sure it's doing the right things, making sure it's continuing to do the right things. So if you look at that from the opposite way round, it goes to prove exactly what you're saying. If you don't have a data protection officer or or a CISO or someone who's responsible for the protection and safety of your data, um, then yes, you're you're likely to be leaving yourself open to exposure. They don't necessarily need to be someone who's uh, working on the premises either, do they? I mean, um, you know, uh, again, there is such a thing. You could even have a virtual uh, data protection officer, which is. You know, funnily enough, which is you know something that, that uh, fits off the office, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, you know, someone who's flexible can either work off site and be you know, help you to understand your needs on on, on you know. In, in real time is, is potentially a useful service as well. Yeah, the FISTEP Data Protection Officer service is one of our most popular services but precisely because of those uh, facts, Chris. It means that organisations get as much help as they need and, you know, they may already have someone who is the, you know, uh, notional uh, data protection officer, you know, the person of, of record who's recorded yeah. there uh, within the organisation. That doesn't mean that they're a data protection specialist or expert or, um, you know, they're probably running it alongside their job, particularly in, in SME organisations. Yeah. Well, the FISTEP solution is a flexible and fractional um, you know, data protection officer. What that means is you get access to that person on the basis that you need, um, you know, for as little as two days a month. And that can really make a big difference. You know, two days a month of actual guidance and oversight 
um, you know, can make a massive amount of difference to an organisation, you know, particularly when that, that data protection officer is you know, very experienced and is able to say, OK, well, here's our plan for the year, this is what we're going to be running, this is how we're going to be doing it, but also be reactive and responsive to the business needs, uh, you know, help them through incidents and data breaches and all that kind of stuff too. Okay, well, uh, I think that's covered off uh, you know, most of the, the findings from the survey. Uh, for anyone who, who was interested in reading that original article, which we, we found very instructive and useful, I mean, it's, uh, they can go to the Insurance Times website. Um, probably well, we'll include a link in, um, the, yeah, in, the, in the show notes. So if you, uh, if you have a look in the show notes uh, now, if you uh, scroll down, you should be able to find a link there and um, yeah. go and have a, have a read of the full and I think we'll probably do a bit of a write-up on that on our, on our blog, uh, blog section of the Fifth Step website, which uh, I haven't written it yet, but uh, that will be something in the pipeline. But uh, when that's available, you'll be able to find that at www.fifthstep.com, so that's F-I-F-T-H-S-T-E-P.com. Uh, you can uh, check us out on Twitter, uh, and Darren's best in, in, no, contact details or your, what's your email address there? Well, probably um, LinkedIn is the best place. Uh, yeah, probably LinkedIn is the best place to find me. Um, you know, if you search for Darren Ray and Ray with a W, so W-R-A-Y, um, you know, reach out on LinkedIn. You'll find me uh, posting content, uh, you know, for Fifth Step and about all these topics on a fairly regular basis. Um, yeah. Okay. On that note, thanks, thanks very much, Darren. Thanks, Chris. Thank you.